You've heard of Grammarly, and you might think it's a fancy spell check, but people on your team have been using it and loving it for years because it does way more than you realize. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that works seamlessly across apps and websites and can write an instant first draft in a few clicks, not a few hours. When every word your team writes is clear, concise and on brand, companies can save 19 days per employee per year. Learn what better writing can do for your company at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said, done. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. I'm Caroline Hyde in New York from Bloomberg's World Headquarters. And I'm Ed Ludlow in San Francisco. This is Bloomberg Technology. NVIDIA, it surges. Shares climb as much as 15% after the AI computing push drove its strong outlook. We'll chip away at the details. And we'll have the latest in the world of crypto as Sam Bankman-Fried faces new charges and Coinbase launches a blockchain. We'll discuss with Chris Lehane of Horn Ventures. Plus, Goldman Sachs offering its wealthiest clients access to a fundraising round for Stripe. That's as the payments giant seeks to raise $4 billion from a wide range of investors. The best performer in the S&P 500 and Nasdaq 100, NVIDIA shares surging essentially because they gave a strong outlook for revenue that kind of indicated to investors that their foray into artificial intelligence is helping boost them at a time where PC demand is slowing and data center demand slowing as well. Shares up 14%, the biggest jump since November at one point up by even more than that and the biggest jump since March of 2020. And I want to stick with this story and get the investor perspective. Joining us now for more uh, over is Jonathan Curtis, Franklin Equity Group Director of Portfolio uh, Management, Franklin Equity Group, nearly $120 billion of assets under management. And Jonathan, you hold NVIDIA stock in your fund. Is this chart on my screen, is this equity response justified? Is the hype justified around this name? Well, certainly NVIDIA has had a strong move year to date uh, here, but certainly we think that the opportunity for artificial intelligence is really just beginning. And NVIDIA sits in a very, very strong position to capitalize on some of the recent breakthroughs we've had with computers being able to actually understand and generate both speech and uh, an image content now, and NVIDIA is right in the center of that. So we think that today's move was certainly exciting, but when you look over the long term, uh, NVIDIA offers really solid return potential for investors. Jonathan, talk us through how they are so best placed to leverage artificial intelligence. Sure, so NVIDIA makes uh, graphics processors, which have at their core the ability to do uh, vector math, which is right at the center of uh, how a lot of these uh, artificial intelligence models operate. Um, the, I think ChatGPT 3.5 has more than 170 billion parameters in that model, and NVIDIA's uh, processors are great at uh, building up the models that understand language and then ultimately allow it to be reproduced. Uh, similar technologies or techniques are used in generating images, 
and NVIDIA is in the pole position for that, not only with the semiconductors they build, but then the software that they build that really helps to augment and accelerate the usage of their, their processors. But NVIDIA is not the only player in this category. There are a lot of other players in this category that we also own and are also very exciting. In that case, Jonathan, is NVIDIA the best position name that you're tracking or is there another in particular that you're excited about that you think actually can grow a business around the momentum in AI? Yeah, well, so certainly NVIDIA is the one that is uh, best positioned about a third of their revenue, excuse me, 50% of their revenue, almost 60% of their revenue comes out of the data center and a large portion of that comes out of cloud service providers and uh, a lot of the growth that we think is going to come in the years ahead is going to come on AI and the building of these large language models. That said, there are other players in the semiconductor ecosystem that are also well positioned. AMD with its Xilinx acquisition, a lot of semiconductor, certainly TSMC where a lot of these advanced chips are uh, manufactured. Then in electronic design automation, the building of new chips, companies like Synopsys and Cadence are very well positioned. The cloud providers are also extremely well positioned because that's where a lot of the building and the running of these models is going to occur. So there's all, many ways to play this. NVIDIA is probably the best positioned in the semiconductor uh, space, though. Jonathan, uh, across Franklin's different funds and portfolios, I think you hold 0.5% of NVIDIA, so a serious stakeholder. And there's always hype around this company. I remember they were going to be big in crypto because of all the compute that was needed for mining. They're going to be big in previous uh, cycles and trends. Why are you so convinced that this time around, with what we're seeing in AI, it is NVIDIA that's right to take on what's available in the market? Well, I think investors were right to bet on NVIDIA over a long term. They've done very, very well with the rise of gaming. They've done very, very well in the rise of the, uh, the cloud. And now uh, AI is a big opportunity. I think they're very well positioned because of the combination of their, their capabilities in semiconductors and in the software they wrap around it. But there are many other companies that are going to do well here. But I think the bigger idea is this. If you as a knowledge worker had the ability to have a partner sitting alongside of you, helping you in your day-to-day -day work and being creative, of course you would take that. And that is precisely what companies like NVIDIA and these large language models and generative uh, AI businesses are going to be enabling. They're going to allow knowledge workers to be dramatically more productive. We just met last week with Sachi Nadella of Microsoft, uh, and he indicated that the product that uh, he was most proud of was uh, the GitHub Copilot offering that allows software developers to generate nearly half of the code they are writing now with a Copilot model. We think that same type of power is coming to the general knowledge worker that has to work across hundreds of emails every day, yeah. many, many documents every day, ultimately empowering knowledge workers to be dramatically more productive. I think enterprises are going to pay for that. And if they don't, they're going to fall behind. And that all leads back to the infrastructure vendors like NVIDIA that are going to enable that. You're painting a vision, a total addressable market that's enormous, I'm sure. Jonathan Very Curtis. significant. Franklin Equity Group, so great to have some time with you, really, to discuss all of this. And we do have some breaking news at the moment regarding what is, once again, some news around the DOJ preparing suit to block Adobe's $20 billion deal for Figma. Now, notable acquisition, one that many an investor was questioning the absolute valuation that this company was parting with for Figma. We understand that the antitrust lawsuit could be filed as soon as next month, and we know it's one of the biggest takeovers of a software startup out there. Really, Ed, this 
this comes at a time that we see more and more discussion of M&A within technology, of course, the focus on Microsoft's deal of acquisition of Activision Blizzard, a $69 billion deal, really the U.S. administration ramping up oversight. Yeah, and every time we see a big piece of M&A, and it does happen, this is the first question we ask. We're surprised to see it. In Adobe's case, there was questions about why they would do this deal based on their business fundamentals. But, you know, clearly the regulators coming in, and we thought that might happen. There's a lot of exciting things going on, but there's a lot of uh, reason to uh, for us to be concerned. People want regulation for AI. They want to feel safe. We think about artificial intelligence as this kind of separate consciousness that is going to emerge as this thing of science fiction. The fact that they have this machine speaking with a first person is problematic because that really encourages people to see it as an entity, as a mind, when it's not. Like any technology, it definitely has its uh, limitation. So uh, we actually like like anything that you implement, uh, we know its limitations. We've seen the move, move fast and break things attitude before. We have to get governments to think about how best to regulate this new, very fast emerging industry. I think that, that chatbots are not what we need for search. It could be uh, helpful. It could help human flourishing. These were just some of our recent guests expressing their concerns around the rapid rise of generative AI, from ethical concerns to regulatory ones. Here's another one, cybersecurity concerns. And in fact, of course, JP Morgan just restricted its staff use of ChatGPT. They say it's part of normal controls around third-party software. So just what are the vulnerabilities that perhaps artificial intelligence injects? Got the perfect guest. Francois Lokodonu, he is president, CEO, and member of the board of directors over at cybersecurity company F5 with a pretty fantastic backdrop as well. Francois, welcome to the show. And just when it comes to your expertise of cybersecurity, does artificial intelligence, particularly generative AI, what sort of risks does it induce? Well, thank you for having me. There are uh, a, a number of new risks that happen with generative AI. Um, but if we if we step back a little bit, what we've seen over the last uh, you know several years is the number of cyber attacks on companies and applications have increased dramatically to the point where cyber attacks are costing you know roughly six trillion dollars a year around the globe. Part of the reason for that is that as we move from the early stages of web experience to more digital, you know, advanced digital and dynamic experiences that we're all enjoying today, security in all of that movement was an afterthought. And so the attack surface for attackers increased and they were able to increasingly attack applications and monetize those attacks. Well, now we are at another inflection point where, you know, generative AI is going to be an accelerator for humans, both for bad humans and for good humans. And we really have to make sure that security is not an afterthought and that organizations prepare themselves upfront for the new risks that come with that acceleration. Those new risks uh, include, of course, you know, attackers being able to impersonate chatbots uh, to take your personal information yeah. or, you know, being able to write uh, scripts much faster that attack vulnerabilities in, in existing applications. Yeah. And today, most organizations are not prepared for that. Okay, so let's talk about preparedness. We can all update our the way in which we train ourselves to avoid phishing emails. We can all understand that perhaps the spelling mistakes aren't going to be there anymore. But Francois, what are you now training companies to look out for? 
We're training. So first of all, we're, we're asking companies to take the threat seriously. What, what I think we've seen in the past is that oftentimes we, we underestimate the sophistication of attackers. And because of that, you know, we use haphazard tools or try to just put a team of engineers in a room to try and deal with the, the attackers. But they are now organized. They have access to a lot of tools. And this generative AI is going to make very sophisticated and fine-tuned uh, attacks available to, frankly, the least sophisticated attackers. So we're asking companies to get prepared to enhance their, their uh, monitoring of their applications and the scanning of their codes and vulnerabilities. Uh, we're asking companies to train their users constantly. You just mentioned right. phishing emails. Phishing emails are, are going to get way more uh, sophisticated and harder to detect, and it requires training of users on a very regular basis. Francois, a month ago, when you reported earnings, you talked about your customers slowing down in terms of renewals. There was a little bit worry about the outlook. You think about the hype cycle around AI. Has your situation changed in the last four weeks? In other words, are your customers actually becoming more alive to these AI-related risks and therefore engaging with you about doing more work with your platforms? In the area of security, Ed, we're, we're, we're seeing our customers are engaging with us on that. I mean, just to give you a sense, Ed, around it, you know, today we, um, we protect over 2 billion fraudulent logins into applications every single day. And we protect over 4.5 billion transactions, web transactions, every single day with our large enterprise customers. And the way we do that is by leveraging AI to stop sophisticated and automated attacks. And we're seeing our customers, of course, have a, a, a strong interest in these solutions. Uh, and over the last four weeks, we have continued to see that uh, that happen. Frenzo, we just have 30 seconds, but what is your technological assessment of what the likes of OpenAI are doing? Do you see them as a long-term threat to your business? No, actually, I, I think OpenAI is going to be an enabler for, for my business and other businesses because there's a lot of fantastic things it, it can do and uh, allow us to you know, move our people to uh, uh, other other tasks that are perhaps are repetitive today. So right. I see it primarily as an enabler of our business, but I also see it as a threat to all companies around the world around securing their digital experiences. And that's why we're going to continue to invest in AI uh, right. to, to help our customers. Francois Locodonu, F5 President and CEO, thank you very much. Caroline. Great conversation. I mean, actually, Ed, if you take a look a little bit more at generative AI over in China, the rally in Chinese AI stocks, they're actually kind of cooling off of late. That's after some media started reporting that local apps and local websites have been ordered to terminate services that allow use of ChatGPT. Now, OpenAI's chatbot isn't officially available in China, but has been accessible via virtual private networks. Coming up, Goldman, it's offering clients a special way to invest in Unicorn Stripe. We'll bring you the details next. This is Bloomberg. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. 
That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. Oh, everyone was reading about it today. Goldman Sachs offering its wealthiest customers access to a fundraising round for the payments giant Stripe. And the bank will set up a special purpose vehicle for private wealth clients to invest in the company as it seeks to raise $4 billion. For more, let's bring in Bloomberg Street Nadarajan, and you're one of the key components to breaking this story. Remind us why they need the money. It's kind of rather arduous around tax. Yeah, I mean, there, there are a lot of long-standing employees at the firm. They want to cash out their restricted stock units. And part of that move will involve a looming tax bill. And that is, in effect, one of the reasons why they are raising this much. They are trying to raise about $4 billion, which is a pretty high sum. But, again, we're talking about a company that went from a valuation of $100 million just a decade ago to almost $100 billion in 2021. It has come down significantly. We're talking about some. a round where they could be valued at $55 billion. But if you think about that, think about the fact that we're talking about a fintech firm that is in a position to report positive free cash flow. That makes it an exciting name. Yeah. And when the valuation has come down this much, you can be guaranteed that a lot of wealthy clients, a lot of big institutional investors would want to poke around and see if this is the right time to jump in. Particularly as everyone's still talking about a certain list of names that could go public as and when the markets reopen, valuations become buoyant a little bit more. Just just talk to us a little bit about how it could be structured. What It's not just Goldman in on the deal, right? No, no. So Goldman and JP Morgan are the two banks who have been mandated with trying to raise this money. And they are going to a wide swath of investors. That includes uh, you know, big names in finance and the tech world, VC firms. There is a quite a big spectrum that they've gone out to. But equally important and what we found interesting was Goldman Sachs, for instance, opening it up to their high net worth mm. clients. Previously, the biggest draw, if you're a client in one of these banks, was we can bring you in closer to the IPO. Now, with private companies wanting to stay private for longer, you, this is a way to augment your offerings. Goldman can go out there and say, let's create a special vehicle where all of you can pull in your cash and we will write one big check and hand it over to Stripe. Why would you not want to take that opportunity? Remind us when this has been done before. 
because it sort of got echoes of what happened with Uber, right? Uh, Uber is one example that comes to mind. That was a big deal. It was in 2015. Goldman Sachs did a 1.6, 1.7 billion dollar convertible note deal at that time. That was driven by their high net worth clients. But equally important, even if you look at recent examples, when a big uh, venture capital firm like Tiger Global wants to raise a new fund, mm -hmm. banks see an opportunity to create vehicles and go to their rich clients, you know, people who are worth more than $25 million perhaps, and telling them that this is a way for you to get in on a big name, which in the past was only available to institutional investors. Interesting, the way in which people still want diversification. Sridhar, great reporting. We thank you, Sridhar Narajan there. Ed, you got some time for Talking Tech? Yeah, thank you. Time now, indeed, for Talking Tech. Let's go over to Europe, where the European Commission suspended staff from using TikTok over security concerns related to the social media app's data collection practices. Staff were ordered to delete the app from mobile phones and corporate devices, which includes personal devices that use commission apps. That's according to a spokesperson. The move comes among growing scrutiny, both here in the US but also in Europe, over the app's potential national security risks. In China, Ant Group's profit fell 83% after China's regulatory crackdown and a drop in valuation for overseas equity investments. Still, Ant contributed a billion yuan or $145 million to its parent Alibaba, whose own profit jumped 69% after the e-commerce giant reined in its spending and narrowed losses abroad to make up for, of course, anemic growth because of COVID-19. And benefiting also from reduced spending is Grab, which brought its profitability target forward after posting a narrower quarterly loss. The food delivery provider, among money-losing Southeast Asian internet giants, that have shifted strategies to focus on achieving profitability instead of spending on growth. Caroline. Great global roundup there. And now let's get you back to the US. Let's get you to a stock to watch after hours because it's Block, of course, the artist formerly known as Square. They're currently been for some fluctuation, but we're now decidedly higher, up 6.5% after hours. Look, gross payment volumes did climb 15% year on year. It was slightly below expectations, but net revenue looks solid, up 14%. And in particular, you're seeing sort of a record-setting revenue for the fourth quarter and the full year when it comes to subscriptions and services. They're also posting towards 2023 EBITDA guidance that slightly ahead of expectations. So there in the payment side of things, Ed, it looks as though we got a bit of a solid beat. It was interesting also the Bitcoin side of the equation also looking relatively solid. It's, it's interesting. The pledge from Block is efficiency, right? In other words, they're reining in spending. And after mm. what we saw from Affirm, PayPal, other fintech players, that's kind of been the theme of this earnings season. As volumes drop, then you need to tighten the belt a little. I think yeah. that's the play. Yeah, it was notable that they're really trying to get costs under control. We note how it wasn't that much an illustrative of how they're going to be doing that, but people sort of noted that the number was below where they had thought. And yeah, as you say, tighten your belt, particularly keep on selling out there and continuing to try and find some expansion. Bitcoin revenue, as I said, we're down 6.5% year on year, but overall it was ahead of expectations. Welcome back to Bloomberg Technology. I'm Caroline Hyde in New York. And I'm Ed Ludlow in San Francisco. We're going to get back to that breaking Adobe news, Caroline. Shares down around 4.5% in after hours after Bloomberg broke the story that the DOJ is preparing a suit to block Adobe's $20 billion deal to buy Figma. That, according to sources and one source saying, Caro, could come as soon as next month. I mean, really, Adobe is such a dominant force in terms of software, Photoshop, Illustrator, you know it. But when they announced that deal to acquire Figma, many you know, were kind of amazed by the price point that they were willing 
willing to spend, yeah. really where they thought this would be accretive. They're trying to, you know, introduce less expensive products at the moment. But notably, just time and time again, this is an administration that is willing to go there to tackle M&A, to worry about competition. And in this space, it really does feel as though, well, the Bloomberg reporting getting ahead of that antitrust news and the filing. Of course, I think it's all because Adobe was actually in front and a meeting with the DOJ, which is often the case before we get this right. announcement. Uh, that's consistent with what we've seen, right, from the DOJ. Our Bloomberg intelligence analysts do point out, though, that in this case, it probably came sooner than expected, mm. although it was kind of expected based on the actions DOJ has taken in M&A so far. Uh, we'll pivot, Caroline, but we'll stick across the story as more headlines break. Coinbase, the largest U.S. crypto exchange, is now launching a blockchain, expanding its reach deeper into the worlds of DeFi and NFTs. Let's talk about this all with who else? Bloomberg, Shanali Basak out in New York. Shanali blockchain. Why? Uh, this is very interesting. Remember, this is a centralized exchange, if you will, looking at decentralization. When we spoke to a Coinbase executive, our colleague Muyao Shen reports that this is really a bet on the community. This is a layer two network here where decentralized apps can be built, and it will be a home for the on-chain products that will be built uh, in conjunction with this network that is being shepherded by Coinbase. Now, let's use some of Brian Armstrong's own words, because he said this is to improve the scalability and usability of crypto. Plus, he wanted to get in on the builder energy, Ed. That is what he said. I also want to point out here that if you look at the initial tweets from Build on Base here, which is kind of the Twitter handle of Base, which is, this project is known as Hello World is how it starts, which of course is a very intimate uh, term for the developer community here. So let's see how much this starts to take off. I think it's a very interesting concept, of course to see an exchange like right. this get closer to the decentralized world. The other headline is what Coinbase does not plan to do, which is to not issue a native token. Another point of discussion. Shnali, stay with us. Caroline, we're tracking a lot of stories today. We are, and it all dovetails nicely into a conversation around the future of regulation around crypto, the future of innovation around crypto. And, well, we've got one person who's kind of at the heart of that conversation, Chris Lahane, his Chief Strategy Officer, Han Ventures. Of course, we're still with us at Shnali Basak. And, Chris, I'm going to ask Shnali to take it away with the first sort of questions because we want to dig in a little bit more to the Coinbase news. Yeah, Chris, I'm really curious about your thoughts here about Coinbase's efforts to get into the decentralized world when they're facing so many questions, really, about the centralized world when it comes to U.S. regulators, what is and what isn't a security. What kind of questions does this open up now that they're embracing decentralization so much as well? Yeah, well, first, thanks for having me. I think really two points on the Coinbase announcement. The first is I do think it reflects what's really going on in the crypto space right now, which is enormous progress and development at what you'd call the infrastructure level where those developers are working at. And then more broadly, when you ask about the policy question, I think there's a really interesting, what I'd call tale of two companies, right? You had an FTX, a company that was based offshore, in my view, really more of a centralized finance, financial entity uh, that committed, at least based on what we've seen and been reported, you know, all kinds of fraud, but the type of fraud that you've historically seen in centralized finance over human history. And then you have a company like Coinbase, uh, Brian Armstrong, who you referenced earlier, made a really interesting decision seven, eight, nine years ago to base his company here in the United States 
to push the frontiers of innovation to create more economic freedom, more economic opportunity, but to do it within an existing legal system, and particularly a set of laws that were actually created before computers even existed. Uh, so I think Coinbase is actually a really interesting example of how you can actually push innovation in this space while operating within a paradigm that is still very much old school. Chris, of course, the company you work at now is one of the hottest venture launches in the crypto space recently. When you're thinking about centralization versus decentralization within the parameters of the existing laws that exist around the crypto community, what are you more comfortable when it comes to putting money to work with? Well, first of all, you know, we raised $1.5 billion almost a year ago to the date. Um, and for us, we're really focused on investments that will play out over multiple years. Uh, this goes back to something I was just touching on. We see enormous opportunity in what I would call the infrastructure area, where you're getting technology that deals with scaling, deals with interoperability. Basically, in layman's terms or layperson's terms, the type of technology that you're ultimately going to need for this to be consumer-facing and for everyday consumers to be able to use. Now, to the specific question about the decentralization versus the central the centralization, I mean, by definition, within crypto, it is a decentralized space. That's ultimately how you democratize aspects of capitalism, particularly online. Uh, within that, there can be a spectrum of issues and ideas. But we spend a lot of time with, with our portfolio companies, and even the potential projects that we may or ultimately may not invest in is, A, is the, what's the quality of the team? What's the quality of the technology? Do they understand that there's going to be a complex regulatory map out there? They don't necessarily have to have all the answers from day one, but they have to reflect an understanding that they're going to need to navigate this and navigate it in a responsible way. So that's amongst the things that we think about when we pursue our investments. I, can, I have to tell you, like, we're incredibly excited about the types of founders we're seeing, particularly in those early stages where they're really beginning to think about, okay, here's where the world is, here's some of the regulatory stuff we need to navigate. But we have incredibly powerful ideas about how we can scale and Make this make this technology really consumer facing. Uh, Chris, you're so powerful with Han Ventures because of the expertise you can lend the portfolio companies. Some of them that we're just seeing there. Your passion around Web3, I've had firsthand from you. But I mean, you before were helping advise companies such as Airbnb as they were scaling. You're someone who knows Washington the way it works so intimately from your background. What do you make of the way in which the SEC is, by some turns of phrase, our guests have said, look, basically regulating by enforcement rather than setting rules of the road? Yeah, I've called it an enforcement-only approach. I mean, if you take a step back, a year ago, almost to the day, I may be off a week or two, the Biden White House put out an executive order. Um, it was sort of a high watermark up to this point in time in Web3 crypto regulations because it really expressed a desire and interest to foster and facilitate responsible innovation. You fast forward to where we are today, and there really has not been any coherent strategy coming at the federal level in terms of actually how do you support and advance that type of a holistic approach. And what you've basically defaulted to is policy through enforcement. It's a little bit like if we had just invented cars and there were roads out there and you basically had to figure out the speed limit based on who was arresting you at what speed and then how the courts ultimately would interpret that. That's no way to create a coherent policy. I'm old enough to have gone back to the 90s. I was working in the Clinton administration. We passed the 1996 TELC 
Quo Act, worked with a divided Congress, Democrats and Republicans. That put the U.S. on the path to being the digital center of the world. That translated into enormous economic power, enormous national security power. At one point in time, I think the five largest companies by market cap in the world were somewhere between San Francisco and Seattle, right? And then you look at what's going on today. And by the history of the U.S. has always been a country since its founding that embraces innovation with government, public and private sector working together. Interestingly, with this enforcement-only approach, it is actually ceding its leadership role. I mean, as we speak, in your native UK, we have activity right now to potentially pass legislation by the end of this year, which could be amongst the most farthest reaching in terms of defining a regulatory framework for crypto to make the UK a crypto hub. Chris, will companies leave? I think that, look, I I literally just had a meeting a couple days ago. Uh, These weren't Han venture companies. These were some others. Uh, And they had reached out to actually really try to understand where could we potentially be looking at the world. And each and every one of them was looking at places like the UK, even looking at Europe. And, you know, as someone, again, who came up in the U.S., the idea that Europe is actually ahead of the U.S. and thinking about regulatory frameworks is just something that I had never really seen before. Um, And so I do think you're going to get to a place where companies, projects, protocols, initiatives, founders, entrepreneurs are going to begin to look around the world about where they want to base themselves. Some may do the U.S. and something else. Some may only do something else. Some may spread their developers into these different places. But but ultimately, this technology is happening, right? This is the next wave of the Internet. You see it with other private sector entities wanting to engage with this technology. You see other governments. And the question for the U.S. is do we want to maintain our historic leadership role or are we going to give give up on that? Food for thought. Chris Lehane, come back soon, we hope, Chief Strategy Officer of Rahan Ventures. Meanwhile, Shanali Bassett, we thank you so much for having us bring that interview. Now let's get on to some other key crypto news because, look, there's some fresh charges that have been brought against FTX co-founder Sam Bankman-Fried, including references to a pair of co-conspirators the U.S. says were involved in illegally seeking to influence the regulation of digital assets. The campaign cash from him and other top FTX executives has a potential to be the biggest infusion of illegal money into the U.S. politics in decades. And what else we've got coming up? Yep, a big exclusive interview with Joby CEO on earnings and how soon we can expect them, sorry for this one, Carrie, to take off everything EV toll next. This oh, is Bloomberg. jokes I love. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop. Customer satisfaction scores would rise and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum, powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, 
influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. In fact, from our point of view, when it comes to Tesla, uh, autonomous, autonom their autonomous strategy, autonomous taxi platforms is much more important than their electric vehicle strategy. In our view, our $1,500 price target for Tesla, it's roughly, it's a little over $200 now, but our $1,500 price target in five years is two thirds because of autonomous. And when we listen to BYD, we do not hear autonomous as a strategy. That was Kathy Wood, of course, founder and CEO of ARK Investments, Caro, showing how optimistic she is about Tesla's robo-taxi strategy. It's a big part of their price target long term. We asked our audience, do you think Tesla wins the robo-taxi race? The answers kind of speak for themselves. But the idea is Tesla's got more data than anyone. Do you think they'll win, Caro? It's a hard one to call because everything seems so nascent still. At the moment, what, you see crews on the roads, I'm seeing Waymo every now and then powering down where you are in San Francisco. How many are you seeing that are of Tesla? How real can that be in five years? The difference, I think, is that Tesla has all these vehicles that drivers are using in all kinds of markets, jurisdictions, whereas Cruz, Waymo, they're just here in the Bay Area, right? And I think that's the problem going forward that analysts are struggling to see when they prefer Tesla as the lead candidate. We'll continue to track it. We do on a daily basis now. Shares of EV toll maker Joby jumped on Thursday after the company gave updates on its key milestones during earnings. The company's first aircraft is expected to roll off a pilot manufacturing line and fly within the next few months. And the electric aircraft maker says it's getting closer on those FFA certifications, opening the door to commercialization. Joining us now, Joby's CEO, Joe Ben Bevert. Joby is making progress, Joe Ben. Analysts are still concerned about how far away commercialization is. Answer their concerns. So uh, we have been making remarkable progress. 2022 is a fantastic year, and we are, are, are really leaning in, and, and uh, the progress in 2023 is really accelerating. Uh, we're now uh, two, uh, we've, we've completed two of the five stages of our certification process, and we're making remarkable progress on the third stage. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, our first company-conforming aircraft uh, is, uh, has the parts have rolled off the pilot production line and we're beginning final assembly and we'll be flying that in the months to come. FF, FAA certification is kind of the key bit, right? Because to get those vehicles, electric aircraft in the skies, that needs to be done. Are we talking months, years, decades before the FAA does that? Because it's a slow moving organization. Yeah, as I said, we've, we've got really unprecedented momentum both on the Joby side and the on the FAA side uh, with uh, huge uh, progress that's been made uh, over the past few months. And uh, we're just knocking down, down milestone after milestone. Uh, and so the momentum is, is really there and we're very grateful for the FAA and, and uh, the resources that they're uh, putting into this exciting new industry. 
Joe Ben, I was reading some of the analyst reaction to what you had to say 24 hours ago. And the sort of more bullish name, CU, is the kind of proof point for an entire industry. You're leading the way. But the big concern they have is that the FAA has to come up with rules for a whole new category of aircraft. How much evidence do you see that the FAA has the competence and energy to do that? Well, the exciting thing for us is is that that process is uh, is now behind us as we've completed those first two stages, and the stage that we're we're entering is. Uh, completing our uh, the last of our area-specific certification plans. So we've had the FAA approve uh, five of, of the 13. We've submitted uh, an additional three, and we're expecting to su submit all 13 of those in the first half of the year. So, and, and again, the means of compliance are um, are now uh, behind us, and, and we're really uh, focused on the future. This year is going to be a, a lot about testing. And that's what makes aviation our safest mode of transportation is the, the rigor with which we build every yes. single component and then test every single component on the aircraft. Joe Ben, you also have this relationship with the Department of Defense. In long term, I want to understand what proportion of your business, your commercial business, will be based on government and military contracts and what will be a consumer facing business. Well, that, that's uh, something that we're, we're going to learn over the, uh, over the coming uh, years. Uh, but what's really exciting today is the momentum we have uh, with the Department, Department of Defense. We uh, have now have um, a $75 million uh, contract with the DOD to, uh, to mature the development of our aircraft. And we're in discussions with them on uh, being able to bring our aircraft on base and provide uh, really useful operations here in the U.S. Uh, for our government partners. And we're excited to be uh, beginning that on base operations, which will give us both revenue and even more importantly, allow us to streamline and optimize our optimization or our operations prior to commercial launch. Joby Aviation founder, Joe Ben Bevett, thank you so much for your time on the show. It's great to have you on. Netflix is trying to grow internationally, and so it is slashing the cost of some subscriptions in more than 100 different countries. And I'm afraid if you're like me in the US, it's not gonna be helping me here and in developed world, they're trying to, well, make us pay our way, stop on that password sharing we've all been doing. But it's all about the focus on the developing markets. So think Asia, the Americas, Middle East, in countries that they haven't managed to build up so many subscribers. So countries like Vietnam, Thailand, and Indonesia could be seen subscriptions and the cost cut by almost 50% according to some analysis. This should help boost perhaps the overall global user past that 231 million number they're already at. Today is going viral. Let's get back to some of that news that crossed this hour. The Justice Department preparing an antitrust lawsuit seeking to block Adobe's $20 billion acquisition of the startup Figma. Now, according to people familiar in the matter, there are cases expected to be filed as soon as next month. We're very pleased to say immediately with us is Anurag Grana of Bloomberg Intelligence. Why is the stock falling when everyone hated this deal to begin with? Yeah, I'm as confused as you are on this one. You know, we'll find out tomorrow morning what happens, but 
you know, frankly speaking, we had expected that. Our uh, antitrust analyst, Gentry, basically said it's going to be difficult to get this thing done because of so much scrutiny on uh, large tech firms trying to buy smaller incumbents that are threatening their business. So we'll see what that happens. But, you know, I'm also surprised that the stock's down right now. Anurag, the, the other surprise that you outlined in your Bloomberg Intelligence React deck is how soon this came about. I think the market expected regulatory bodies around the world to look at it, but you're saying actually action is happening sooner than we thought. Yeah, and I'm, I'm to be honest with you, it's Jen Green's work that is, I'm quoting basically, I, I depend on her for all of these expert opinions. And, um, you know, she thinks it is much sooner than uh, what, what she was expecting. And the reason is that I think there is so much, I mean, every major tech deal is being looked under a microscope right now. And they want to make a point that they are not going to let, you know, something like a Facebook buying Instagram again, um, you know, out there. So let's see how this turns out. But, uh, you know, I think in the long run, if they are forced not to buy it, it may, be not, it may not be that bad of a thing for Adobe. They can deploy that cash somewhere else and, and try to do this organically. Okay, interesting. It would probably be pretty awful for Figma in some ways, one might imagine. Just how much would this be coordinated elsewhere as well? I think one of the things that we have seen that once they got a whiff that U.S. or authorities are really strict about some of this stuff, we have seen Europe already you know, trying to break up, uh, you know, Microsoft Activision with basically saying, you know, you got to get rid of a game. I mean, it's, it, it's kind of like, you know, I would say this is very common across the globe right now, mm -hmm. uh, where most of the uh, authorities are pretty, pretty against large tech companies buying anything right now. It's a theme, Anurag Rana. We thank you for jumping in from Bloomberg Intelligence, bringing us the expertise, Ed. Yeah, that does it for this edition, Caro, of Bloomberg Technology. What a week has been so far, just one day to go. And so much to digest. Tomorrow on our Twitter spaces, we do it every Friday. Thanks to you, Ed, driving the force of what we're going to be discussing at 12 p.m. New York time. It is 9 a.m. San Francisco. Tune in on the Twitter spaces. Just see if we've got some news breaking across it like we have done in previous weeks, hey? Yeah, and there's also that huge story from German on Apple, glucose, and the Apple Watch. We've got a recap. It's the biggest one of the week. From New York, from San Francisco, this is Bloomberg. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.